You're one of the few artists I know who believes in God. Yeah. And will talk about God. Yeah, I'm, I'm openly religious or openly um, speaking about that, yes. I mean, what other artists do you know of who are openly religious? Terrence Malick. Terrence Malick. There you go. You and Terrence Malick are like the only... Well, Martin Scorsese. He was going to be a priest. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Blanchot, Kafka. No, they're dead. You can't say dead ones. Living ones. Living artists. The point is they all used to be religious, and now... Right. Yeah, none of them are, yeah. It's hard to find. Yeah, you're right. We've we've lost our way. (laughs) Yeah. But it's coming back. Okay, this... This is our second episode of the podcast. This episode has been a disaster. Fuck. I'm the worst. I mean, you never should never trust me. So basically, I wanted to interview my friend Kaveh, sit on this chair. who's one of my favorite filmmakers. And we had a very lovely conversation. I cut it down to like 18 minutes. And then I decided I wanted to interview him again and again. So I kept talking to him. And I kept talking to him, and none of the interviews matched. Yeah. So it didn't record. Now it's recording. Sometimes he wasn't even recording. Oh, Kave. My last conversation with him was on the eve of his 60th birthday. I'm, I'm kind of terrified of turning 60 tomorrow. And the reason I talked to him so many times was that I was interested in understanding how his spirituality had developed over the course of his entire life. And the moments where his belief in God had shifted. This is a medley of those conversations, and we begin in his childhood. As a kid, I was like uh, fervently into God. I was like religiously obsessed. So it started out in his childhood, he was randomly really into Jesus. I loved the crucifixion. <laughs> I loved all the healing. I just like, Even though his parents were Muslim? They were Muslim, but they were very secular. Uh, and they never did anything, you know, devout or, or observant at all, except when we went on a trip, my dad would make us kiss the Quran because he was afraid that if we didn't do that, we, we could die. And did you pray? Yeah, I prayed every night before going to bed. That's what I did, you know. The main thing I remember praying for was that my parents not get divorced. And, you know, they were, they were talking about it, and they said they'd let us know in the morning uh, when we woke up. And I remember, you know, praying to God that they'd not get divorced. In the morning, they came and said, we're not getting divorced. And I was like, thank you, God. My parents got divorced, like, uh, two years after the night that they said they weren't going to get divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so it was like a, your prayer worked on a timeline. Yeah, my prayer could, could hold back the flood, but it couldn't. Stop it forever. When I was about five, I was in the playground uh, in the courtyard of school, and it was raining. And this kid came up to me and said, hey, it's raining worms. And I was like, no, it's not. He's like, yeah, it is. Put out your hand and see for yourself. And um, I was old enough to know that it doesn't rain worms, but I was young enough not to be sure. And I put out my hand, and an and earthworm fell into it. And I looked up, because I was thinking, well, it must have come from like a roof or something, or a tree. But there was, there was no roof or tree, it was just sky. And I remember thinking, oh, I guess it does rain worms. 
I could never make sense of that memory. Like, it was just like, what is that? Is that, is that a false memory? Or is it just that I entered a different dimension in which I can't see the worms that rain from the sky, you know? It was like a portal. There were portals to other worlds that somehow all shut as I got older. And when did this period of childhood mysticism end? I mean, I guess when I hit puberty, mysticism left. <laughs> I think maybe like when I was about 13. And at that point, did you still believe in God? No, I didn't believe in God. And I, I think I became kind of like uh, virulently uh, atheistic. I mean, I, I, I didn't only not believe in God, but I thought that God was a crutch and that people believed in God because they were, you know, afraid of death. And also, I think I was really indignant about injustice. Like, I, I, was, I was mad at... Uh, at the state of the world, and maybe I, I thought, uh, you know, the usual, like, if, if there's a God, why would there be injustice? So he goes to college, becomes a young adult. Okay. Hi, my name's Kaveh. And at this point, he's an atheist. He's in his early 20s. And I'm about to be married. Start once more, please. Um, my last two marriages fell apart because I used to have this sex addiction problem. And he has a sex addiction. I don't know how everyone else is, but I think lust is a very, very uh, tricky... Uh, temptation. For me, um, you know, I think it's a spiritual yearning, and it has to do with wanting to connect. But I think it's a it's an error. It's like trying to connect in a way that doesn't really work. It's like the body is not the place of true connection. Uh, it can be used in a spiritual way, I think, but ultimately, spiritual connection is spiritual. It's not physical. You know, there's this idea of the negative path to God, which is kind of like evil is a faster way to God than goodness or trying to be good. And I, I feel like that has been my path. <laughs> like just questioning all good things, questioning morality and sort of exploring the other direction. And, and I think it's true. I think it, it brought me to God in a deeper way, much faster than, you know, trying to be good. So in his 20s, while he's working through his sex addiction, he starts doing psychedelics and having spiritual experiences. You know, I started with a kind of paganism, like, you know, the trees are alive and mm -hmm. the whole earth is alive. And but he wasn't thinking of his spirituality in terms of God until he did ecstasy. It was like there's this new drug, it's called MDMA, <laughs> and I got some. And there, he says, he met God. It was just like indisputable. I just met God. I can't believe it. Yeah. Uh, it's true. God exists. It's like walking into a house and there's a, there's a person in it. So the next moment was when he was about 30. That was a huge moment. Um, I'd had a and he gets in a fight with his best friend, Arnold, over film credits. And I, would fan I, saw I found myself fantasizing not just about killing him, but about killing him with a hammer by bashing his head in. Uh, and I would like imagine like his brain splattering and the, the bones breaking. And I was just like, you know, rubbing my hands in glee. And I realized I was becoming like an unbearable person uh, and a one, one track record. I just could not get off this groove. And then my friend Greg said, hey, I, I read this book that's amazing. You got to read this. And I was like, okay. Say the name of the book. A Course in Miracles. 
say the book was named A Course in Miracles because the name of the book is confusing because it makes yeah, yeah, it yeah. sound like you experienced yeah, yeah. A Course in Miracles. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the book was called A Course in Miracles and it was channeled by... So this woman. book is from the 70s and it was channeled by a woman named Helen Shuckman, meaning she feels like a higher power wrote it. And in the 90s, Kaveh found it and read it. And it just completely floored me at every level. And I immediately, like on a dime, I went from... Uh, hating Arnold to just being like, oh, okay, I forgive him. He read the book every day religiously, and it took him a year to read. And every day he did these different exercises from the book. What's an example of an exercise that helped you? Um, well, there, so there's 365 affirmations. You're supposed to do like one a day for a year. Um, and like one is, um, I do not know what anything is for. And so, like, I'm always, like, trying to figure out what to do, but I don't know what anything is for or what, I don't know why, and I don't have all the information. So just, like, knowing that is like, been super transformative in terms of how I go about my day. Okay, so fast forward to when Kaveh is 37. He's doing a lot of mushrooms, and he feels a voice pass through him. What would the voice say? The voice was, like, very, very powerful. So it would come through, like, a scream. It would be, like, so much power that it would just be, like, the volume would be, like, off the charts. Um, And it would also do things like my body would, like, do somersaults in the air. And, like, I can't actually do a somersault. Like, if I tried a somersault, I'd be scared that I hurt myself and I wouldn't be able to do it. But, like, I was doing things physically that were, I don't know if they were impossible, but they were things that were, I'd never done. You weren't actually doing them, but you felt like you were doing them. No, I was doing them. I was somersaulting in the air. <laughs> and, and there was people there who saw it. But like, like one thing that the voice said was, um, Holy Mother of God! And, you know, Mother of God? Like, that was just a term I never would have ever used. Like, I have no relationship to, I assume it's the Virgin Mary. Like, I, I don't think about the Virgin Mary. I don't care about her. I never believed in the Virgin Mary. It's just It was just not in my vocabulary. That sounds scary. It, I think it was scary to the people around me, but it was experience of absolute bliss for me. You were screaming. You were screaming, holy mother of God. And other things, too. So, like, at one point I was with my girlfriend, and I forget, she asked me a question or said something, and the voice that was speaking through me said, Lie! That is a lie! You know? And she says, well, does Kaveh lie? (laughs) And the voice said, Yes! And she says, how does Kaveh lie? And she says, and the voice said, uh, that his name is Kaveh Zahedi. And then she was like, so what's, what's his name? And then the voice said, his name is God. And then I was hurled to the ground, like face down. So my forehead was touching the ground and my hands were like extended in front of me, like like in kind of like Islamic prayer. And 
as I was as this was happening, I was thinking, this is the voice telling me that when it says that my name is God, it doesn't mean it in like an arrogant sense. It means it in like an absolutely humble sense. And I was sort of being thrown to the ground as a as a sign that this was what humility was, was accepting that, not, you know, I'm like God in a way that anyone else isn't. So stuff like that. <laughs> that was on mushrooms? On five grams of mushrooms, yeah. Is that a lot? That is a lot. That's what Terrence McKenna would call heroic dose of mushrooms. It's like I'm sitting there and suddenly I realize, oh my God, it's coming at me. It's 100 miles wide, it's 10 miles high, and it is rolling toward me. It looks, and, and I barely had time to lay down. And it was just, it was like a tornado hitting. And at one point, I opened my eyes. Terrence McKenna, for those of you who don't know, is like a famous drug guru. There, I mean, there are uh, there are strange places, and we each have our own private hells. I mean, there's a place I go to nearly on every ayahuasca trip that I call the meat locker. And Cave says that Terence McKenna says that doing a heroic dose is completely different than normal mushrooms. He says that when most people take mushrooms, uh, it's like the vestibule of a house, the house, the mushroom house. They go into the vestibule and they think they've been in the house. And they're like, whoa, incredible house, man. All these colors and this, there were coats on the, on the rack and there were shoes on the ground and it was amazing. But he's like, but there's actually a whole house behind that vestibule that you haven't seen. And to see the whole house, you needed five grams. And if you took more than five, it didn't take you to a different house. It's just more time in that house. So then he starts doing a heroic dose every year on his birthday. How did you decide to do it on your birthday? Like, when did that idea come? I mean, I think I, I just I just really always hated birthdays because I felt like I was getting older and I was, you know, I was depressing. And I always, you know, judged myself as not having done enough. Uh, and so it was, I knew that if I did mushrooms, I would kind of have a good day and I would feel good about myself. And it would be like, a, you know, it was scary, it's scary to do it. So I think I needed like a, an occasion to sort of... Uh, get myself to do it. You know, it's terrifying, actually. From then on, every time he did a heroic dose of mushrooms, this thing would happen where the voice of God would speak through him. He was channeling. Can you hear me? Am I coming through loud and clear? I am God. And he starts filming these mushroom trips. Hi, Sue. Uh, I'm going to be doing some filming today, and there's uh, some screaming stuff that's going to happen, so just so you don't worry. I just put a camera on a tripod and just let it roll, and I didn't always get the footage, and then I started having people come and actually film it, you know, in person. Thank you. Sure. Let me plug in. And then I started getting good stuff. And I exist in the light of yes! Thank you so much, Jean-Luc Godard. Thank you so much for all of us, Jean-Luc Godard. You continue to inspire me, Jean-Luc Godard. I mean, I'm aware that there's an incredible disparity between how it feels and how it looks. Please, God, all merciful, God, say, God, say to you, to you, Jeremy. Obviously, it doesn't look like I'm happy. 
or that God is speaking through me. I mean, it looks like it's the devil, really. But it doesn't feel like the devil. It feels like God. Wow. What a beautiful thing. I think I hear God receding. I think I hear God receding. Bye. Come back soon. Um, well, one thing that came through to me with these uh, heroic doses was that God was like a comedian. Like, he's really funny. Um, and it's just, it's just joking. Like, everything's a joke. But like a, a, a profound and tragic-tinged joke. It's almost like the core jester or the coyote trickster was what God was like. God was like the coyote trickster rather than, you know, whatever, the Christian uh, uptight God. Um, very playful. God was very playful. Um, and of course God is playful. That's what the universe is. It's play, you know? Um, so my, you know, my sense of God is, is that, and you know, my films are very playful too. And I think, I think I try to embody that playfulness in them. Um, I mean, I think really my films really come out of these drug trips. After around 10 years of filming drug trips, he had kids and continued making films, which were about his own life as honestly as he could convey it. Mandy, my wife, you know, we have, our relationship isn't the greatest. Uh, we haven't had sex for a long time and we fight a lot. But He became a film professor. He and his wife eventually split up and he settled into daily life as a spiritual person. I think the real thing I've always really wanted was not to make great work, which, you know, is something I also wanted, but it was really to be an artist, to be living in that space of what great work comes from and is the expression of. And just, you know, in washing my dishes, to wash them beautifully, to wash them artistically, to wash them with that energy of bliss and of beauty that normally I don't do. So really, the problem is just that I am always rushing to try to achieve glory in the eyes of others instead of just being in the glory of being. Um, and so it's really just about me. It's not about what anyone else thinks. But I've always made that mistake. And just the divorce and the despair and the lack of recognition and all the, all the pain uh, of living has sort of forced me to have to um, find bliss in each moment. And then when you're in bliss, you don't need anyone else's, you know, uh, anyone else's validation. Do you do that with your dishes? I try. You know, if I'm stoned, everything I do is like that for the time that I'm stoned. So I have the example of what it looks like. So, you know, I'm not saying anything because I'm trying to feel into, like, this present moment. I'm feeling better. <laughs> I feel nervous. Yeah, but I mean, you know, only because you have an agenda about this moment, right? But, like, if we just drop the agenda and we're just trying to, like, feel into our beings... I mean, the fear that we all have, I think, as artists is that we're not 
real artists that were frauds, right? And I think I think God is an artist. I mean, God is creative. I mean, we're all manifestations of creative energy. So the idea that we're frauds, I think, is just a false notion. And really, whatever we are is God, is of God. Like the truth of us is God, not the, not the pretense of us is God. But what about all the people going around, like, making... Bad art? Mm-hmm. If you couldn't hear him, he said, bad art. Um, I think they're not in touch with, they're not being true to their, their true being. They have a model of what, a lot of people have a model of what an artist is and looks like and acts like, and they're just imitating that. And that is a recipe for disaster. I mean, you're never going to be happy. You're never going to feel it yourself. And it's never going to be interesting or original work. Which brings us to the end, his 60th birthday. Can you say something? Uh, are you still recording? I'm not. Do you want me oh, to record? Yeah. Can you say something poetic for the ending? <laughs> About God and, and what you believe on the eve of your 60th birthday and everything you've been through? <clears throat> um, like, do you feel like you've returned to your the goodness of your, the mysticism of your childhood, or is it gone forever? No, I think I'm, I'm I think of my mysticism is back, I mean, more than ever. Um, I think... I'm trying to get back to childhood, actually, which just for me just means like feeling my feelings again, because those feelings are actually God. Because, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, despite everything, I always thought like being spiritual meant like not getting angry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I get angry <laughs> you know, all day long. Uh-huh. So it suddenly felt like, oh, I just have to accept my anger and, and I'm good. Uh-huh. So it's been really kind of great. I feel I feel like like a kid in the sense that like it's very simple. It's just it's just being yourself. Yeah. Being who you are and expressing who you are. Yeah. And and weirdly enough, I thought that's what my films have been saying and doing, you know, this whole time. They're just kind of uh uh kind of like a a PSA for just being who you are and expressing that and not being afraid to be flawed, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's very hard to be yourself. It is hard. I mean, I think I spent the last 40 years trying to prove to myself that I was worthy, you know, worthy of existing or worthy of, that had value, that, that you know, and I didn't feel worthy, you know, and... And I think, I think I'm, I got it. I'm, I'm worthy. Okay. <laughs> and now like, I can stop doing that. Like, uh, I can stop having to prove it to myself and to the world that I'm worthy. Um, and I can start just like enjoying life, which is what kids do. You know, like they just, like my, my daughter isn't trying to prove that she's worthy. She's just having fun. Um, and I'm, I kind of have rejected fun for 40 years and, you know, like it wasn't serious enough or it wasn't going to get me to the place of, of value. I've been yeah. doing it like a workhorse instead of like a, a joyful thoroughbred. Um, and I've suppressed my feelings for 40 years. I mean, I've completely repressed them and suppressed them. That's, you know, it's, I mean, not completely, but uh, to a large extent, uh, much more than I, sh- I should have or needed to. So 
now it's just about feeling my feelings and and that being like enough. Mm-hmm. Like you know, I I was teaching yesterday, and this this the student of mine did this beautiful video about her brother who's schizophrenic, mm. and there was so much sadness and sorrow and grief in this video, and everybody you know was like on the verge of tears, and I'm teaching so and also I'm a guy and you know. So I feel like I need to kind of hold it in. Mm-hmm. But why? It's just like, and I was afraid if I let it in too much, I couldn't stop. Like I would just cry on Zoom for 10 minutes. And then I'll just be sitting there going, what the fuck? Our teacher is weeping on Zoom and can't say anything during class. But that would have been like the best class ever. Our teacher sobbed for 10 minutes because this video was so touching. Like, what a gift that would be. But I didn't, I didn't give it. So are you going to try to do that more post-60? Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. That was the second episode of Constellation Prize from The Believer magazine, with my friend Kaveh Zahedi. If you can, check out his work. Start with the show about the show on YouTube. It's amazing. This episode was produced by me, Bianca Gaver. Our editor is Hayden Bennett. Music in this episode was by Greta Morgan. You can look her up and check out her music project. It's called Springtime Carnivore. She's also in this small, up-and-coming band, Vampire Weekend. In the part where Kaveh talks about mushrooms, we also featured the song Pale by Akira Kosamura. Mixing was by Zubin Hensler. Thank you, Zubin, 